0: The American Teilhard Association podcast features conversations and interviews which explore the life, thought, and vision of mystic scientist Pierre Teilhard de Chardin. We express our gratitude to Dalesford Abbey in Paoli, Pennsylvania for allowing us to use their space and equipment in making this episode possible. Frank and Mary Frost are independent documentary filmmakers with more than 35 years of experience. Frank earned his Ph.D. in cinema from the University of Southern California. Mary was a journalism graduate of the University of Toledo and was a syndicated reporter on Capitol Hill before joining Frank Frost Productions. We connected today through the technology of Zoom, and we humbly ask for your patience as we had to deal with some lag in terms of our Internet connection. Most of the lag has been edited out to make the conversation more enjoyable. Frank and Mary Frost, welcome so much to the ATA podcast. It's great to have you with us today.
1: Good to be with you. It's a real
2: pleasure for us to join ATA in this way. Yeah. We're, we're big fans of uh, ATA, as you know, so glad to be here.
0: And it's an honor to be speaking with you. Um you've been uh working hard now in terms of this film on Terra Chardin's life, uh, but a little bit about you first. Uh so how did you get into filmmaking? What inspired you and what drives you now as filmmakers? Wow.
2: So it's been quite a quite a while. Um, I was once a young je- a Jesuit myself. Uh and uh, as a young Jesuit, um I discovered movies. I was getting a graduate degree in English literature, and I discovered movies. And I thought movies are even better literature than books, mm-hmm. and decided that that would really be something I'd like to do. So after I got my master's degree in English, mm-hmm. I got permission from the Jesuits to study film at University of Southern California. Uh, and while I was uh, in philosophy, we had a film series, uh, at, at, you know, that we discussed films. And I was very uh, involved in that. And I was invited by the head of the National Catholic Office for Motion Pictures to do movie reviews in in summers in New York. Uh, mm. So my goal was to become professional as a movie reviewer and to teach film at a university. So I went to USC. And um, before they uh, allow you to take any uh, criticism, Criticism Courses in those days, uh, it, it, before they allow you to take criticism courses of, of any note, you have to take production courses. And so you know what it takes to make a movie before you become so critical of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, lo and behold, I discovered it was really fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I was now in my mid-20s, and I had uh, never thought about making films, and here I was saying wow this is a lot more fun than teaching criticism so um i gradually changed my course and and did that and then i went to work my first job was with the uscc bishops conference uh su- supporting the campaign for human development i made short films uh for them and they uh, uh and that became my my new, I well actually became head of their um, cre- call, so-called creative services. So I, I did all kinds of media, but I was basically making short films on 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 uh, poverty, um, on, on
0: countering poverty.
2: And when I finished that, uh, I started my These own were like
0: educational films. You were making were they like educational well, poverty and how to combat poverty
2: actually they were what i would think of as films to make you uh compassionate towards the poor they okay uh they they were, they were basically all mini biographies uh mm. of uh sometimes in groups as three or four sometimes individual groups i did a lot i did dozens and dozens of uh, public service announcements that were all uh, the, the lessons of what it means to be poor um and and uh, and, and looking for the uh, the compassion that came, comes from that okay uh, so that was that was what that was uh, uh, doing and uh, so i got into a uh, um, a groove i really liked that very very much it also gave me a really special appreciation for the catholic church because I would travel around the country and tell people what I was doing. And people would say to me, I didn't know the Catholic church cared about the poor. Uh, so social justice was something that was kind of revelatory to people in the, in the 1970s, which when this sure. was. And uh so that made me feel good as well. And I became very, very, I uh, liked it very much. Um So then I decided I'd make my own, start my own company. And I was, since I was doing mini documentaries, I stayed in mini documentaries because I, in order to start my company, I first had to make sure I had some clients. And I had a half a dozen clients lined up, started doing short films, mostly for the uh, Catholic Church, but all the, for, for, for other religious organizations and nonprofit organizations.
1: Which they mostly used for fundraising,
2: right? Uh, yeah. Mostly they did, yeah. yeah. But basically they did the same thing as we did for the campaign for human development, which was not oh. to make the film itself a, a fundraising film, mm-hmm. but to make it the, the, uh, the ask came after the film. The film was the, the, the softening the ground
1: mm-hmm. so
2: that you could, uh, then make it make I the, ask. yeah. It wasn't my job to make the ask. Thank God. It, <laughs> my job was just to soften the ground. So, um, so that's became something. And then I, uh, Kept thinking I was going to go back where I started in film school of going to uh, doing feature films. Mm-hmm. But that's a big leap and I never got there. Um, and in the meantime, I thought, well, at least I can do longer form. And so we did a uh, the first, um, I think I had met you by that time, right? Uh, Mary came to work for me as a volunteer. Uh <laughs> I started my own company because I needed a lot of help and then she became indispensable and after about eight years we got married and, and that's and she's been part of that she's a journalist yeah uh and she's also extremely well organized and so she has we divide the work in the company basically we both we both help each other with what we do but uh she reviews the creative side and I help her with the logistical side but basically she handles the money and the logistics and i handle the writing and the direction Mm -hmm. and that's worked for a lot of years now Mm -hmm. Uh, it's amazing that you know people say you've been married and working together for that long (laughs) Uh, that's that's true it's it's good
1: hard to believe sometimes but (laughs) it works
2: (laughs) yeah so that's uh, so anyway the first film that we long film we did was uh uh, kind of on a religious to- topic, but not exactly. It was really a documentary on Dave Brubeck, uh, okay. the the jazz musician, because he had just written uh, an oratorio on the Catholic Mass, and mm. he did uh, premieres in five locations around the country, and we documented those mm. and made it uh, an hour long documentary. That we got on PBS.
1: He had just converted, hadn't he?
2: No, he, yeah. he converted after that, but oh. but but it was a, a, a catalyst for his conversion.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, right. Okay. But it, the, 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 so we got that on uh, on public television. We learned a lot about how you get things on public television mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. in the process. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, that we also learned some other lessons from that, if I may.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, we learned uh, about music um, because Brubeck. Oratorio had uh, choirs of 50, 60, 100 people depending on where
0: mm-hmm. where he
2: was and he, and he he had his own um, organization you know, band, what do you call it his group. group yeah whatever <laughs> um, we, we found out that when we finished the show, PBS had a contract with the musicians Union, mm-hmm. but we, we, we discovered that if the show was to ever be shown anywhere else, or even again on PBS, um, every musician who was in the show had to be paid uh, and at a, at, a, at a set rate, and it was just just impossible. Wow! So, so that show has only played for the three years that it aired in uh, in, in at that time back in the uh, early eighties, and um, and it has never been seen again. We still stay in touch with the uh, the sons of Dave Rubeck. but okay. Uh, but we don't. Uh, that that show will never see the air again because it's just yeah. too expensive to,
0: for it to be aired uh, again. Um, yeah, royalties and contracts and all that yeah. fun stuff, right? Red tape.
1: That's the non-fun part of it. <laughs> <laughs> Insurance.
0: <laughs> so
2: and you ended up doing um, the, the, the music, the, that same thing as it were for a show we did. On the uh, the other the uh, the American Creed
1: right mm. Mm, yes that that was even more complicated than Brubeck that, that was using popular songs and uh it was very complicated we had to hire a, a music rights attorney and uh uh I, I can't even tell you how much it ended up costing for that music and 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 that also didn't see the light of day again because mm-hmm. of the cost
0: <clears throat> well, it's very commendable that you were pioneering enough to start your own business and to, um, you know, take on this challenge of being an entrepreneur, especially a creative at that, right? You're an artist, you're producing films, and um, it's a, a testament to um, to your spirit that you're doing it as a couple, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a really thing. thing. Um, I know my wife and I work together, um, not for our own company, maybe someday that would be cool, but Um, You know, we have the privilege of working in the same place together. And it is a a neat dynamic to, you know, have that opportunity. Um, So uh, you're, Frank, you're at USC or you're a Jesuit. You go to USC, you start studying filmmaking. At some point, you then begin your own company. You and Mary meet. You're working together. At what point did the two of you meet de Chardin?
2: Well, I actually, I met. Teilhard de Chardin, when I was a young Jesuit studying philosophy. You're, you're, That's
0: what I would have presumed to some degree.
2: So so you you're, you know Teilhard, so you, you would be aware of the fact that there was a bonnetum issued in 1962, a warning the heads of seminary, seminaries not to let their uh, seminarians read Teilhard. And of course, that meant we all read Teilhard. Mm-hmm. Uh, as we're was that
0: a there. Freudian slip, warning the heads of seminarians?
2: <laughs> uh, that 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 pretty much uh, was a promotion you know <laughs> exactly read jr and, <laughs> and, and so we all did the funny thing is that um, i was uh, i did i pretty much I, I read the divine milieu and i tried uh, the phenomenon of man which was called in and um, I didn't get through that one totally uh, and then I kind of pretty much forgot about Tayar. So then the second time we met Tayar was together mm-hmm. um, when we would were uh, doing pro bono work uh, for Woodstock Library. Woodstock was a theological uh, uh, center. Center. And um, it had moved
1: to Georgetown. It used to be up in Maryland, I think. Right. That's it? why
2: it was called Woodstock. Yeah. Right?
1: So at, at Georgetown University.
2: So one day uh, I'm, I'm doing a pro bono uh, event in, George, in Woodstock Library of a round table. And my, once I got my crew working with the cameras and, and recording and they're, they're doing their thing, as a director, I don't have a lot to do. And I keep looking over and I see this bust of Teilhard de Chardin there. And I keep staring at it and staring at it. and um, When they, the... The event is finished. Our liaison with Woodstock uh, well, Library uh, said, I noticed you keep looking at that statue, uh, that bust. You know, we did a seminar on him a couple of years ago. And I said, oh, really? He said, yeah, I'll give you I'll, I'll give you the proceedings. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, you really ought to do a film on him. Mm-hmm. So that planted a seed. It wasn't the actual total beginning, but it well, only a couple of years later. And then we learned that uh Georgetown Library Woodstock and Special Collections have one of the world's largest collections of uh of letters and uh, objects and uh, and things and and uh, so we see the resources are here, but there's always this question of money, but there's no money. Mm-hmm. See the thing thing about uh, what long form shows that we did at that time and still do right now, for PBS is that independent producers for public television have to raise their own money. Uh, PBS doesn't pay them. Uh, PBS provides the eyeballs that allow us to raise, get sponsors to raise the money. And so we had that question, how are we going to raise the money for this? And somebody at Woodstock told us at that time that uh, I think I know where the money is. You know, you really got to do this so we said hey let's start so we began and um turns out she didn't know where the money was
1: (laughs) people always say that they they never know where the money is (laughs) so
2: so that that happened in 2010 it's now 2023 and we're just finishing the film we just finished the film Mm -hmm. Uh, it became a 13-year project of raising funds uh as well as producing the show and Doing the research and all, and um, and that's how we came to be doing this program Mm -hmm. that that we call the it's entitled the evolution of Prt R de Chardin.
0: And now, if I could go back for one second, what year was it uh, approximately, at least, that you saw the bust and you were taking this kind of at least visual interest in this person?
2: I would say, probably about two thousand seven. No, no.
1: it was around 2010
2: two th- yeah no 2010 was when I when, when we actually started uh, uh, maybe anyways somewhere in, two, in that period 2008 9 10. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, was so it. as someone who had picked up Teilhard earlier in your life when you were a Jesuit and then now later um you know was it kind of like rediscovering him was there a familiarity
2: Oh, that's a great question that I love, <laughs> because I thought that I knew Teilhard. The first thing I did is I went back and took out my book of the Divine Milieu. Okay. I couldn't remember anything in there. So I opened this book, and I see that I have made annotations on virtually every page. Mm-hmm. And I've totally forgotten the book. Mm-hmm. So I have to read it again, but... Uh, it really was a rediscovery. Of, of But beyond that, I always thought of Tayar as most people do even today, I think, and certainly then, of being a visionary and a, a prophet and a mystic. Mm-hmm. Uh, which he was. Which he was. But what I didn't realize was that he had a really fascinating life.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And that was a big impetus because um, I learned in film school that it's pretty hard to make a show about ideas because you have to point the camera at something, <laughs> and so if it's a, if you have to do something tangible, and uh-huh. so thing to do is biography. So we set out to do the biography of Teilhard de Chardin rather than try to be uh, scholars and and and, re- and re- examine his ideas in detail. Now his ideas do emerge in his life because they're the motivations that drive it. But but mm-hmm. we only touch the surface and then we uh, uh, figure that the people who watch the film, if they're intrigued, will want to know more and the, they can go to the American Taillard Association mm-hmm. and, uh, and there will be all kinds of resources available to learn more in more detail.
1: Because our goal is to, is to reach those people who don't know about him yeah. um, and intrigued. And, and want them to get interested. And certainly in the focus groups that we've done, I we had a number of people who never heard of him and were so excited to hear what he thought and what he said. Um, mm-hmm. So that's very comforting because that, that's who we want to reach.
0: Absolutely. And uh, we will definitely get to talk about this in a moment here, uh, though. Mary, if we could go back for a second to how you first met Tayard. I got Frank's side of the story, but how did you first encounter Teilhard?
1: I never heard of him before, <laughs> I'm sorry to say. Um, uh, I went all through Catholic school, but he was never mentioned. And so it wasn't until we started uh, doing this project that I learned about him. And uh, interestingly, when I was going through my dad's library, on the divine milieu and a number mm-hmm. of books on cosmic issues that he was reading at the end of his life, but he never mentioned it to me. And so I, I, I thought that was it's quite amazing. <laughs> I wish I had known it and would have been able to talk with him about it. So yeah,
0: I wonder generationally, um, you know, how many people there are who like it's, you know, for lack of a better term, kind of like a deathbed admission that they were mm. reading this type of stuff and thinking in this type of way um i had the opportunity to within the last year give a presentation to a very vibrant senior community and the questions they asked the feedback they offered were some of the best i've ever had and wow. i really attribute that to them being um you know kind of like past that age of caring what you know dogmen or doctrine, so to speak, might say, you know, or the powers mm-hmm. might be mm-hmm. um, the powers that be rather what they might say about, um, you know, these opinions. But very interesting. Very interesting. Just an aside. But thank you. That,
2: yeah. No, I think uh, that's, that's really, really true. I think uh, I can speak of that age of that age that you begin <laughs> to uh, be more concerned about uh, kind of the big questions. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not so busy trying to make a life and now thinking about
0: the end, as it were, or the transition. You know. Yes, yeah, yeah, the transition. So, so now you mentioned how, in um, you know, creating this film, you get to really enter into Teilhard's story, and you realize in this rediscovery of Teilhard and his work that there is this really rich storyline in terms of his life that's unfolded over these years. Um, And I had the great opportunity just a few weekends ago in Hyde Park, New York to watch the premiere of your film. And um, I was just really taken back by the fact that you guys made a pilgrimage essentially to all these sites in Tara's life that were so formational. So what was that like for you to make that pilgrimage?
1: It was awesome. <laughs> I have to say, uh, it's
2: it, it's uh, al- almost transformative. The, um, when, the I, when when we by the time we started this film, we were very practiced in making documentaries, and I had a kind of a um, an unspoken premise that I had that you don't want to know too much about your subject because it gets too complicated. So just learn enough to to get the images and the, the script and 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 do, and do it get it done and we thought we'd knock this show off in a couple of years um and it we in order to uh, get permission for some research at at Georgetown we wrote to um the uh KR family for permission and became acquainted with Marie Bayonne de Latour who invited us to, she said, you have to, if you want to make a movie about Tayar, you have to walk in his footsteps. So why don't you come to Auvergne, where he was born, and we will show you around Auvergne. And that's how we got started on the pilgrimage. And what an uh, invitation. That's so amazing in itself. Ab- absolutely. It was, it, it, it's more than we can tell in a small, it'd take a whole half hour just for that. <laughs> um but um but it was deeply moving and uh remember when we first arrived mm-hmm. we were driving with her and her uh, a couple of other people uh from Paris down to uh Auvergne and to Clermont-Ferrand and when we approached the city we pu- she pulled off at the first ramp and mm.
1: the, the first place we went was the cemetery where his family is buried and uh and I was so struck by that because we had been to the grave in Hyde Park and uh where he's buried in the Jesuit cemetery there. And uh, and the family cemetery is is you know not tombstones, it's it's one big uh structure, and and numerous people are buried in that place, and they have all their names listed on the metal uh Sign, like that's not a sign, but uh, and and I I was just saddened to think that he was the only one who wasn't there, um, because he was still in New York. (laughs) Um, so
2: but you got the whole family history just in this uh spectrum of this. um,
1: His his parents were there, his brothers were there, and I'm not sure who I was, quite a long list of people. Yeah. Hi.
2: But when you go to the place, that, so it turns out that we all we were trying to f- find images for things we knew would be true in his uh, biography, such as the place where he was born, and there's we knew about heard, heard about Sarsana which is the place where he's born. It's a chateau. Uh, the the Teilhar family, Tayar was a uh, uh, one of eleven children, uh, and uh, the, his father it, it was. Uh, Kind of a gentleman farmer, or he he was what wasn't nobility, but he was whatever the term is for a a higher level of. uh,
1: I don't know what the French would call it. We would might say landed gentry. Landed
2: gentry, yeah, Yeah. that would be. So, um, but his
1: father was trained as a naturalist. He was educated, wasn't he?
2: He was. Yeah. He he actually went to school for uh, for that when he younger. So we, we knew that he had this chateau, but uh, what we didn't know is that he actually owned three chateaus.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: there's three, the family today still has three um, large farms with, uh, with mansions, we'd we say in English, but there's chateaus, uh, very large buildings. And uh, so Marie Bayonne put us up in one of those um, and took us around to the others and took us to places, this, the churches uh, where he...
1: Where he was baptized, that's in the show. Right. Um, and and to the mountain that he climbed, because that area of France has these extinct volcanoes, a whole line of them. And uh, so <clears throat> we climbed one of those, and that was a difficult day for me because I had didn't know we were going to climb a mountain. So the only shoes I had were street shoes and it had been raining and muddy. And it was like for every step I took forward, I slid two steps back for Frank was practically pushing me up the hill, <laughs> but I made it to the top. <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: That's <laughs> great. So, so walking in his footsteps, literally, mm-hmm. um, does something emotional to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. you your imagination is uh, is stimulated, and you can imagine him being here and and what it was like, um, and and that's true of each each of those places, those chateaus. Today had a special place in his life. Uh, for example, we stayed in a, one of them called Mirrol, which had a had a river running past it, uh, and it was there that he would go and collect stones that would that would be washed off on the shore from this river um and it uh, became a, a stone collecting place for him and so um uh, we, we got and well so we went there each we went to each place twice because we went once for research mm. and then we went back to each place to shoot and each one of those required a separate fundraising <laughs> effort um but uh, when we went back to shoot at Mirol, uh to the uh, place where he gathered stones um, uh, two of his brothers you know he has three three brothers but uh, uh, not he didn't have but his his nephews three of his nephews uh, who still own that house went down and uh, and collected stones with us and and he had always had the understanding that fossils were something that you found. Um, it's more like it's something you discover when you crack open a, a stone. Yeah. And uh, and so they were down there cracking stones, their hammers and showing them to us. And um, they gave us, a, it was very heartwarming. They gave us a gift uh, when we uh, came back, they had taken the stones that they had found and broken, and they did what Tayar did. They put little tiny labels on each one to say mm-hmm. what it was and gave us a collection of stones it was really wonderful mm-hmm. anyway that that's only a kind of really uh, made us really somehow make our audience understand what it felt like uh, for for tayBTR
0: Yeah. And like I said, and having seen the film myself, um, you really do get the sense of walking in his footsteps and the fact that you've taken this effort to travel around to all these very formational places in his life. Um, I'm trying to think the overlays, especially with like the trenches from World War One, that was very well done. I mean, I, I could keep going on about how much I enjoyed the film and how well done I thought it was. No, I don't know. It's appropriate for me to just fawn over it like that, like it, you know. <laughs> Um, but, you know, to, that certainly take my affirmation. Um, so, you know, in having spent, you know, a career in making films, what was unique about this film in terms of the challenge? I know you specified financing it was particularly challenging, but were there other challenges unique to this project that arose? Well, um,
2: that's, that's a complicated question to answer, I think, but um, I, I do want to point out a big aha I, we had, I had particularly, when we actually started uh, this project, I had started to say that I thought, thought of him as a, uh, a visionary, and went to Georgetown Library, and the first collection that started through was the George Barber Collection, which is a collection of all the essays, that he wrote scientific essays he wrote in China and, uh, and with a ton of photographs and other things. Um, and I realized that he wasn't just a religious person. He was a first rate paleontologist. And he um, wrote, wrote con- constantly. Uh, he was always writing essays and they were all getting published in, in paleontological journals. Geological journals, uh, and he, uh, uh, he he was a scientist. So that skewed everything. We said, "Noah, well, we really have to make China a priority uh, mm-hmm. in this show," because uh, up until that time, we thought we only had to shoot in France and we'd have the show. Mm-hmm. Um, so we went to China, and we had found a uh, a consultant. Um, who was working for the Chinese uh, uh, Academy of Sciences, uh, and we went to see him to see what we should shoot in China. Um, we went to see him. We went into his office, and he said, "Let's talk before we do. Uh, let's go meet uh, the the head of the uh, division." We walked down to his boss, and his boss turned out to be a tayR scholar who'd written a book on, on the uh place that, uh, where he'd done uh in, in digs and then he walked us down another corridor to a nice woman mm-hmm. who had a poster of tay on her wall uh,
1: <laughs> that was amazing
2: and we were in the right place. <laughs> we came to understand that Tayar was deeply revered, is deeply revered in China today as the founder of their paleontology, as co-founder of their paleontology. Oh, and wow. I, we, nobody had, no, Marie had been to, Marie Bayonne had been to uh, China herself to visit the uh, place where Tayar wrote the Mast on the World. But she didn't say anything about this. Nobody had told us how important Tayar is, scientifically speaking. Uh, in China. And mm-hmm. so that was another whole thing. When we walked out of the meeting with Kailu uh, Yu and his uh, colleagues, we had they had set up for us uh, in four locations, two in Inner Mongolia and two in China, uh, places where Teyar had done research, had done digs, uh, usually with uh, Emile Lisson. Uh, and uh and one of those places is been you know, a constant uh uh geological research for hundred years since they are found it uh mm-hmm. uh he and this song so um we had this whole thing open up to us and we went back to China then it to, took 17 days to shoot in China to get to all the locations mm-hmm. that they had, uh, that they had put us in touch with. So that opened up a whole world for us that we just didn't know about. Yeah. So I just wanted to point that out. that uh, The scientific side of, China, of Teilhard is very, very important, as well as the uh, visionary and spiritual side.
1: Yeah.
2: Wrote, uh, I can't, can't give you the citation, but at one point he wrote that research is adoration. For wow. him, work and, uh, and, and spiritual pursuit we're one and the same.
0: Yes. Yeah, and speaks to the um, the global influence of Teilhard um, in terms of the impact that he had in China. I know that when I saw the film, I was particularly taken by that section. Um, you know, it, and you did such a nice job at chronicling his life and the way that you took this pilgrimage and you're actually on site, on location in these places. Um, when you got to China, it was kind of like, oh, yeah, China, like there was that part of his life. <laughs> <laughs> I was finding myself like so immersed within the story and the way that you were telling it that when I got to China, <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah.
1: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, he did that. <laughs>
0: uh, but um, one but thing- yeah, it really spoke to me in terms of his international influence, how you were interviewing these people at the museums and how they had so much to say about him. hmm.
1: That was amazing. But what was kind of scary was when we went for our research trip, we really didn't plan very much. I mean, Hailu Yu and his colleagues really made that whole trip for us. And because um, we just we didn't know what we didn't know at that point. And so happily for us, it worked out very well. And uh,
2: we didn't have a fixer yet.
1: No, so, that's true. so we
2: had to find our way down to Halouyu's office, right? Yeah,
1: right. That, well, so it's like a 14-hour trip. Luckily we live outside Washington DC so we were able to fly nonstop. And uh and uh so we were told we were staying at uh Georgetown has a uh a school there at at a, at a Chinese university called uh the Georgetown school is called the Beijing Center for people from uh, Catholic colleges uh, in the U.S. to come and be for a semester and you know learn some Chinese and learn about China. And so um, we, we did have help there and we were staying there. And so the, the woman who was in charge sent us a paper by email of their address in Chinese characters. So when we got into a taxi, we just, just hand that to the taxi driver and he would get us to the right place because we arrived on a Saturday night at like nine o'clock at night. And, uh, and Frank says, when we got fine to the Beijing center and he said, we have to go tomorrow morning. Cause we had an appointment on Monday with Hailu Yu. We have to go tomorrow on Sunday to make sure that we can find our way there on Monday. And mm-hmm. so that was, we were going by, by the subway system and it, which is totally the most crowded subway system you can imagine. And, uh, um, but we got our tickets and we got on the train and we had to change once and it was even though it was sunday it was just packed and so we didn't go far from the door but when it came time for the the changing place frank got off right away and i was just so used to being nice that i was People were coming on, and he's had this vision that the train was going to go, and we would never find each other again. So he reached in and grabbed my arm and just pulled me out of out of that subway train onto the platform. <laughs> uh, so it was good that we did that. So we <laughs> we found the building, and then Monday morning we were there, you know, on time, and uh, that was uh, our first big adventure in China. <laughs> uh,
2: we were so naive. Yeah. Uh, when we went back for shooting we so how when we I'm sorry for, go ahead we went back for shooting we hired a, a fixer who was a phenomenal woman uh and uh and that made all the difference uh, yeah she, she she made all the arrangements and uh, and
1: went with us everywhere and translated for us and uh, that was just a huge hired drivers and uh so it made, made a huge difference.
0: Takes a lot of work off of your plate too, in terms Mm -hmm. of Mm stress of needing to deal with the translation and local logistics and all that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's all
1: in Beijing. There's everything is written in English and in uh, Mandarin characters, but you get out of Beijing and and there's no English anywhere.
0: (laughs) Good luck. So, I want to ask how this project either impacted you or what you learned from it. So I'll leave that open-ended in terms of maybe either how this changed you or, you know, what you learned from this project.
1: Why?
2: <laughs> that's a good question to think about. Um, for, for me, um, I've become more and more uh, the, thing, the thing that struck me about Teyar was that he never—he didn't have to prove the existence of God. And now, today, not a lot of people talk about that. But the um, in when I was teaching high school before I uh, went, went to film school, um, I had students who were I had everybody had to know the exist proofs for the existence of God. Thinking about Tagar is Tagar n- doesn't come up anywhere in his writings because Tagar never needed to prove anything because he simply intuited the divine in in nature and in the world and, and that, he
1: felt it and he felt it yeah, huh?
2: and that became for me uh the God that I can believe in hmm. and so the, the, overall the the show for me the making of this show has just really intensified for me. Um, the um uh, the the imminence of god and the presence of god in 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 the divine in nature and that's actually the um the inspiring moment of, uh, i think for um the notion for thomas berry in, in the environmental movement that he founded um mm-hmm. is that everything is sacred um, nice. and uh, and that that sense of sacred uh is um a personal gift that we have, whether or not anybody likes the film. Mm-hmm. 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 So and,
1: and we've really been immersed in Teilhard for years now. And we've been editing with our wonderful editor, Bob Kanner, um, who came to us at, on a recommendation and, and, uh, and he it turns out he's Jewish and he didn't, had never heard of Teilhard and, and it was wonderful because he, he gave us, uh, uh, someone who, who didn't know Catholic jargon, who didn't know the things that we take for granted. And mm-hmm. so he could stop and say, what does that mean? And, it, you know, I don't understand that. And, and that was so helpful. And so, for these last couple of years of hearing Tayard's words, I think th- th- this was a thing that Frank was adamant that we had to have it. This was not going to be just a film of he did this and he did that and he did that and he did that. But we want to hear what his thoughts were from the various letters and the uh, essays and things that he wrote, so that you really got a sense of of what his his feelings were, what he what he thought and and felt uh, as these different things happened to him. Um, and, you know, we hope that people will feel also the the I don't know what's the word that, you know, how despite all the these blockades that were put in front of him, that he kept going. I mean, that's the most amazing and inspiring thing to me. He never gave up. He kept thinking, well, they'll see it someday. They'll understand what I'm saying and and and. uh And of course they didn't, but, but he didn't, he never gave up. you know, he never left the Jesuits. He was, a lot of people say, oh, why didn't he just leave? And, and he, he just couldn't. I mean, he, he had vowed to stay and he, he wanted to stay. Right. 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 uh, It's just amazing, amazing man. And I mean, even for people who don't buy the vision, I think they will be, be interested in the story of his life and how he dealt with everything that happened to him.
0: So you asked Yeah, me. for those that have a problem with the vision, it says something about um the paradigm of modern science too, right? Mm. How that has even failed to reach people in terms of now us cracking open the quantum and really being able to get into the interrelatedness and interconnectedness of things. So, I mean, for me, that is where his vision starts to really just kind of speak for itself. And like Frank said, it's no longer even a debate or a question about the existence of God, but rather um, the scope of God, we might say.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So uh,
2: we think when we started our project, uh, Tayara was, uh, was, had faded considerably. And there were just been a few re- recent books that have been done by him about him, uh, that was in 2010. And in that 13 year period since then, there's been a big re- renaissance mm-hmm. of interest in Teilhard. And mm-hmm. I attribute a good part of that to the fact that during the 90s, 18, 80s and 90s, he was heavily criticized because he wasn't scientific enough or he wasn't uh, uh, the, the science and, and religion were incompatible. Now, um, as you mentioned, breaking open the quantum and and chaos theory and other parts of uh, uh, developments in science, Wired magazine, the technological magazine in 2000, uh, wrote an essay saying that the uh, internet is the noosphere. Uh, and I say well it's not the noosphere but it's a pretty good uh, <laughs> uh, manifestation of the noosphere and uh, and and but that essay uh, uh, that kind of essay has been written many times now in uh, technological magazines because tayar's um, vision embraces technology and science and development and progress if whatever progress is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so, I, yeah, I think uh, it, it's a wonderful thing that uh, what they are dreamed
0: of is coming true. I think. Well, I think you're right. I may be biased, but <laughs> mm. um, it's a challenging time for sure now, a chaotic time. And there is uh, the most complexity we've ever encountered in our lifetimes. Yet, mm. this is the most conscious we have ever been. And and we know the way that works with complexity and consciousness, those two have a corresponding ascent together. So, uh, despite how, you know, um, hectic things may feel, that's just a sign for me that there's this increase in Mm. complexity, therefore a call for us an impetus to really accelerate our awareness and how we can be agents of change, right. Within the world and where we see injustice and things like that. Um, Well, I mean, thank you for sharing your own personal journey through this following of Teard's footsteps and this, you know, really longer than a 13 year journey of making this film, both in terms of just, you know, getting into filmmaking, your relationship and how this whole discovery of Teard and the relevance of his work and vision um, has unfolded. Um, Now, I've alluded to several times that I've had the opportunity to watch this film and enjoy it. And I had the opportunity to do so just a few weeks ago, as I had said earlier in the podcast, in Hyde Park at Mariapis Luminosa, which is a retreat um, complex, we might say, run by Focolare. And uh, it was a phenomenal experience. And we had, like I said, this great chance to watch the film and to enjoy it there. But that week really not even that weekend which was a combination of a program in manhattan followed then by the weekend in hyde park um was a uh, large to do to your efforts in collaboration with the french so would you mind sharing just a brief backstory on how that um and, and i'm sorry to to give more detail to this that time together was to celebrate the 100 year anniversary of taylor writing the mass on the world um, so would you mind just giving a brief backstory on how your efforts and the French came together with the ATA to make this possible um
2: I'll be, I'll be glad, glad to uh, so
1: uh
2: in the process of shooting uh in the conference uh, in, uh, well we we say Reims, but they say Rance. Um, and uh, and also present there was a sister Kathleen Duffy. and um, so when the French decided that they wanted to celebrate the hundredth anniversary of Mass on the world, they wrote to the four Americans they knew uh, from attending their events, To ask if we would collaborate with them. And uh, of course, we said yes. Uh, The fourth person is Tracy Higgins, um, who was very instrumental, by the way, as our translator when we first went to O'Baron. So when they wrote and we said yes, and Kathy agreed that she. would be the American almost two years planning and executing this. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are many interesting questions uh, that, or dilemmas that come up when you're trying to organize something in two different in, in your Zoom calls, uh, and you know you have your letters, but um, but there's a lot of obstacles. A lot of hurdles, I would say, in, in organizing something like that uh, in, in, in a bilingual way. And uh, so we gradually, we knew we were getting in for something, but we didn't know how intense it would become until a few months ago. Mm-hmm. When it uh, we came to final conclusion, there was a tremendous amount of organization that still needed to be done. Mm-hmm. But we were glad to do it, and it was uh, glad to do it on behalf of the American Tierra Association but you. it
1: really it really was a team effort with Kathy and Tracy for absolutely. sure absolutely yeah. absolutely and uh uh we were just so happy i mean <clears throat> at the end i think everybody was very happy and when the french were leaving on their bus they were all waving goodbye and <laughs> um so it was a, a good experience in in bringing the two groups together and and spending so many days together um
2: and I think it was a major step forward for the, the organization, Worldwide and Association, mm-hmm. because there's been the aspiration for some years of becoming truly a worldwide organization. And there are many, many countries that have national tar associations, but they don't mm-hmm. connect except through her now in the past few years. And so now this gives a big impetus, I think, mm-hmm. to uh, uh, creating a network of uh worldwide international or, or national AR associations so I think this would have had a a, a bonus mm-hmm. if, uh, effort effect of, of doing that as well as uh, being very quite inspirational for the people who were present
0: I agree and in my recollection it's the first time that the ATA has all been together since 2019 um when there was a conference in I think it was like December of 2019 and um it just seems so far away that we've all been together in the flesh and it was really great to just be in the same room with people especially our friends right. from france um and just to see that way the synergy unfolded between the two groups mm-hmm. um, i myself do not speak french but it was really neat to just be and for, for me i wasn't even there in manhattan i was only there for the few days in hyde park so that you know, 72 hour period if that that we were just kind of immersed together. There was just this common understanding that starts to develop when in conversation you're, you know, these things are unfolding. So it was really neat. I
1: was just gonna say the Hyde Park part was really the most uh, interactive of the two. So um and you didn't miss a lot in Manhattan. The the French were kind of isolated because they were with this travel agency that had booked all their meals and everything. So it was only in Hyde Park that we all mixed together, you know, at the different tables and different meetings and stuff. So.
0: Right. Right. Well, it was really neat to be a part of that. And thank you so much for all of your hard work and for Kathy and oh. for Tracy's hard work. Um, it was a phenomenal and, experience. And for
1: you, you you, did a great job as introducing everybody and being the master of ceremonies at various times. So that was very helpful. So Oh, my pleasure.
0: That. Yeah, that was fun. My pleasure for sure. So um, like I said, it was very exciting to watch this film. The first 20, 30 minutes or so, I was thinking, oh, I could show this to my kids. My kids mm-hmm. are all small children, six or younger. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, as, as I'm watching the rest of it, I'm like, oh, this would be even appropriate to show to maybe juniors or seniors in high school or mm. certainly college courses, um, undergraduate or even graduate level. It's just very applicable to so many different levels, um, whether you want to show the entire film, whether you want to show sections of it.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Um, I know for me, tarot is best taken in small doses, you know, well, big ones every once in a while for sure. But, you know, it's usually more digestible in smaller doses. So I could see how the film could be used in a similar way to highlight certain movements from his life or different elements of his thought, uh, so I'm really excited to see how this and um, you know the dissemination of it continues to grow here. But what are your plans for getting it out there, and uh, when and how will people be able to view it?
2: So I, I need to follow up on what you were just saying by saying that when we started this show, uh, we wanted to have it broadcast to a large audience, and the only only avenue really available at that time was PBS. So we set out to do a show for public television. In the 13 years of this work, the world has changed uh, Mm -hmm. technologically. Now we have a digital domain that has opened up a a whole wide variety of ways to get the word out. So we recognize now that it's really our task to take the show that we have in a two hour form and re-repurpose uh, it in smaller forms that it can really be re, re, uh, distributed on the, on the internet and used in education and so on. But we would welcome your input on y- what you think would be appropriate pieces to, uh, mm-hmm. to do that with. But we do know that we do need to uh, uh, to g- go about reconfiguring it for, uh, for audiences today. Sounds so strange audiences today. But
1: <laughs> well, it has
0: changed. It's, there's been a huge change in, in 10 years. Yeah. And it, as a film, it's not like it feels like it's, you know, old or anything like that. It's, it doesn't feel mm-hmm. like it's 13 years old. Having heard your story, it certainly is obvious. You put 13 years worth of work and travel and your blood, sweat and tears into it. Um, but it views as if it's a film that was thought of up and then mm-hmm. created. Mm-hmm. so it's certainly I
2: think, I think it'll have a long life you know
1: mm-hmm. it's, and it's I, not I, dependent
0: on, i'm sorry
1: so it's not dependent on current events or anything like that so i think it it'll be around for
0: no and i was going to say that it fills a hole it certainly uh, there is a gap there within ter- in terms of uh the theological um spectrum mm-hmm. Teaching and then even in terms of just the resources that are available, um, you know, it, it's something that can be applied across the board in a lot of places, I think.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, um, I could see it being shown in science classrooms, too.
2: On the other side of this podcast, let's have a conversation about those possibilities. It'd be very, uh, That's good. very interesting to explore the, uh, the, the range.
0: It would be, and like you said, that event really was kind of um, the beginning, not not the end of this project, but the beginning to how we can share your film and tarot's vision, and really to recruit more people who are of a similar mind and heart and have their own gifts to give mm-hmm. and can you know increase because it's not just Terrod's vision, right? He is the one who had the words to articulate it that he gave to us. It's mm-hmm. just it's it's the larger vision, right? It's that the great work or the great story that Thomas Berry talks about, right? It's it's that drama which we're all playing a part. Mm-hmm. That great it's- so. So in two hours, you've chronicled this one man's, this one visionary man's take on the cosmic drama. Um, and in terms of a testament to terror, as a terror scholar, I'm just so thrilled that it, it's finally happened, right? You've made it, um, but just finally, like I said, it fills a gap. <laughs> finally, there is this film that, um, but it's it's worthy of him too. You know, I, I feel like it, it's worthy of the dynamic and, you know, very Renaissance life he lived, wearing so many hats, having so many different experiences with so many people in so many places, um, you know, I think that it really does justice to that. So um, kudos to you guys. And um, as we begin to wrap up here, I thank you for your time here today. It's been lovely to be able to chat with you. Um, Is there anything else that you would like to share? And um, I'm going to ask you to share definitely um, where people can go to find out more about you and your work.
1: Um, so one th- one thing is when we're when we finally have a, a broadcast schedule uh, set up, we will let you know and the ATA know and, and get the word out through various social media ways. We'll be hiring a publicist also who works with PBS stations because you can't. Uh, you have to go to them individually to get them to a uh independent producer like we are and so um that that will affect you know we might even have a call-in program for people to you know let their station know that oh i hear this show is available and can you can we air it in a, in you know hoboken or wherever <laughs> so that Yes. Yeah, so
2: so um, the, uh, to do this, we've will be taking. we been fundraising. We said we'd never going to fundraise again. <laughs> but here we are now fundraising for the promotion rollout of this film. Mm-hmm. So if anybody wants to uh, contribute to the promotion of this film, they can go to the tayarproject.com website and uh, go to the donate page. And mm-hmm. uh, there'll be a variety of ways that uh, people can contribute.
0: And we will include a link to that on the podcast when that comes out on all the different platforms so people can easily access your website mm-hmm. to find out more information on the project and how they can support it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Frank, Mary, it's been a pleasure to sit and talk with you for a bit more today. Uh, I'm not going to lie. It was even better to be with you in person a few weeks ago. Great.
1: <laughs> right.
0: But this is a great and uh, appropriate follow-up to learn more about what went into making that film that I enjoyed so much and that I know the world will also enjoy and appreciate and really um, gain meaning from in a lot of ways, I think. So thank well, you.
1: We appreciate you uh, inviting us to do this. And, and we really are happy that you like the show. I mean, it just... Um... it it helps to know that, that, that people are connecting with it. And, and then you're a person who knows a lot about Teilhard. So, so you weren't put off by the fact that, that, that it is a, an introduction to him, if we can call it that. Um, although even a lot of people who know Teilhard and have studied him, don't know the, the life story all that well. Um, and so, um, you know, we're, we're just so eager for new people. Uh, when we showed the, um, the film one day and and this woman had never heard of Tayard, and she said oh, he's my new favorite person he says I have to find out more about him and so she went and, and we ran into her at a lunch the, about two weeks ago and she said I went and I found some books on him <laughs> so uh so that's what we want so right
2: that, that validates what we set out to
1: do yeah
0: absolutely amen yeah i had the opportunity to speak to a college class about a month ago and after the class and this class had heard nothing of Tayard before the kid came up to me and the professor of the class and he was like i know what i'm writing my final paper on now and it's going to be tayard and this All is the right. first time i've heard about him but he said i feel like um you know his spirituality just captures the way i believe and the way i feel about uh-huh. things and i was just sitting there going, oh my god this is amazing you know yeah, the fact wonderful. that this you know, whatever, 19, 20 year old was so moved by my, you know, simple 45 minute talk I gave or whatever. So trying to do his life and vision justice. But
1: but I think young people are attracted to what he stands for and what he believes in. And that's why we have to, you know, I I mean, there's a million things we could do. We're getting kind of old here, but, um, you know, college classes on T.R. Um, at Catholic universities, I mean, we can't create those, but there are people who can. And so, if we get the buzz going, you know, maybe that can come to fruition at some point. Absolutely. Uh, so learn about him.
0: Um, I have a feeling your film will be showed in that course.
1: Yeah, I hope.
0: So. <laughs> well, Frank, Mary, like I said, it's been wonderful to be with All these you pieces today. of it. Yeah, yeah that's great. It's been wonderful to be with you today. Thank you so much. Thank you for bearing with me as we kind of sludge through the connection at times. But I think overall, this has been a very great conversation.
1: Oh, it really has been. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks so much. Yeah. Thanks, Anna. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.